Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor. What's up? Welcome back to another sermon review. Today, we are going to be looking at a sermon review from uh, McLean Bible Church uh, in the D.C. metro area. It was uh, this last Sunday sermon at, well, last Sunday at the time of this recording. So January 24th, 2021. Um, I don't know if there's a, there's not really a, a title for this other than, as you see on your screen, from surviving to thriving. Um, so uh, let me preface this, a couple things. One, as of the time of this this recording, this has 1,747 views. Um, the McLean Bible Church is led by uh, Dave David Platt. You probably heard of David Platt. He uh, wrote the book Radical. I've never, oddly enough, I, did, I was thinking about this when I did the sermon review. I've never seen a David Platt sermon. Like, I've seen him speak a number of different times at conferences uh, that I've attended or, you know, viewed online. I've heard a lot of his preaching as far as from those conferences, but I don't know if I've ever actually heard a sermon that he's given at a church, at his church. So this was interesting. Um, so without much further ado, let's go and jump into it because this is uh, a bit of a different setup. So and you'll see why here in just a second. So let's get into it. Today we're going to be uh, looking at uh, the sermon from Surviving to Thriving from McLean Bible Church, uh, filmed Jan or given rather January 24th, 2021. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Hebrews chapter 10. It's near the end of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're turning there, I just want to say how good it is to be back. Uh, thank you for praying for me, my family. I really appreciate Mike filling in on short notice. Okay, also, uh, this is what is going to make this sermon a little bit different. Um, and this is what kind of threw me off a lot when I started. Because whenever I say, hey, I'm going to do this sermon, I, I watch it a couple times in transparency. I've only actually watched this one and a half times because of how busy my schedule was this week. But um, when I first saw this, I thought, why are there two people on this stage? Like, this was a little concerning for me because uh, I don't know. I didn't know how this was going to be done well. Now, um, you'll see it as it kind of, uh, as this whole kind of sermon flows and works itself out, why they're doing this. Uh, but don't let that throw you off. This Obviously, this isn't a typical Sunday morning there. This is not what they always do. There's not always two pastors up on stage preaching. But uh, you'll see how this works out and the dynamics of it here in a minute. Uh, but I have to. I was just like, what's happening? <laughs> why, why are there two people? What's happened to David Platt? Um, that was my first instinct, but that's just because it's my instinct. Also, if you're uh, the link in the description below will be there in case you want to watch this whole sermon uh, without any, you know, um, commentary feed, you know, feedback from me, which obviously would be totally understandable. Uh, but if you do, the sermon part that we're watching actually starts at 30 minutes and 49 seconds in because this video is an hour and 37 minutes long. It's their whole service. So it's got all the worship and the prayer and everything included in the front of it. And the sermon portion starts at uh, 30 minutes in. Uh, also, in case you're new here and you've never seen a video uh, of a sermon review before and you're like, why is David Platt talking so fast? Uh, it's because we play these sermons back at 1.5 speed so that um, so that we can get through them. Because if not, this would take a very long time to get through the whole sermon plus my commentary. Um, now, last thing I say before we get into it, this is my commentary. Uh, so this is my opinion. Uh, but I want to use these sermons for teaching and training purposes. So as... Um, the more and more people are online 
to view their sermons or at least just like supplementary sermons, right? So they go to church Sunday morning, they're part of that body, but then on their commute or things like that, they want to listen to more sermons from different people. So they, they pull those up. Um, so what I want to do with these videos, as I've said before, in all my previous uh, sermon review videos, the idea here is to look at these sermons, use them as teaching and training tools to say, hey, are there any red flags? What are the bad things that happened here? What are the good things that happened here? What can we learn from this? What should we never do again? Um, and is this person, you know, is this, is this a biblical preacher, uh, pastor that we could, we could learn from? Um, and, and do those sort of things. So it's a teaching training video. That's the whole purpose of this. This is not uh, to bash on David Platt, or this is not to raise him up above all the other pastors. Uh, this is just to say, hey, let's look at this sermon and see what's good, what's bad, and uh, what we could, what we can really learn. Can we learn from this, or can we not learn from this? So that's the idea. Let's jump in. Let's go. Oh, why is that not going? A couple weeks go. ago, when I found out I had. COVID, I'm so grateful for Mike on so many levels. We're actually gonna tag team today because we wanna to talk together about the church and how being together in the church is absolutely critical if any of us actually wants to thrive in our lives. And I'm gonna say that statement again because it's a pretty bold statement. It is absolutely critical, like non-negotiable, if any one of us wants to thrive in our lives to be together in the church. I wanna illustrate that in a couple ways. First, in light of my last couple weeks with COVID, again, my symptoms were very minor just cold, congestion, headaches, and that loss of taste and smell. I certainly pray all the more now for those who have or have had worse symptoms, including, as we've talked about, members of our church family and friends and family who've lost their lives over recent weeks. But one of the things that was most jarring for me was just the isolation, being in a room alone in my house, not being able to be around anybody else, having to stay distant from others, not being able to hug my wife or play with my kids. And it was a clear reminder to me that none of us can thrive in isolation. We weren't made for that. We've all been created by God to thrive in community with others. Like this is hardwired into us. And it's not just us. It's interesting. So we've been using this illustration of lemon trees over the last couple of weeks. And I need to mention something on the side before I talk about the trees. So I'm sitting at home last week watching Mike as he's preaching and alluding to the trees. And at one point, he makes a promise that he, and in response to some negative feedback we've gotten about letting a tree die, that he is committed to keeping this tree, resurrecting it to the best of his ability. And I just want to clarify, I would not have made that promise. So that was coming straight from him, which means at the end of the series, this particular tree is going home with Mike, and it's going to be in your little corner, bro, and uh, you're going to do whatever you can, you know, to be true to your word to keep this tree, living tree, alive. On the other hand, we've got another tree over here. So the whole picture we've talked about these last uh, few weeks is just simple things, like giving a tree light and water and nutrients, simple things. God has designed for a tree like this to thrive. When we neglect those simple things, then we wither. And so in my newfound lemon tree expertise, I've discovered something else that's really interesting. So this happens naturally with a tree like this, but you'll have a bud that starts to bear fruit over here. And there is, so there's a way it's cross-pollination where this bud over here actually starts to help this bud over here thrive. So if I could illustrate that by kind of speeding the process up, it's like there's, there are, by God's design, things that can happen here that actually travel over here to help this little guy over here grow and flourish. And when I look at this, I see a picture of what God has designed for the church, how God has designed literally designed my faith to help you flourish in your faith. And God has designed your faith to help me flourish in my faith. This actually works together. And this is the way God has designed it in the church. And I think we, well, we see this personally in our lives. I think about Mike, so. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is a... Okay, so they're going to go back and forth here, but I want you to kind of see what's happened. So we're looking at sermon development. Now, this is going to be really hard with two people uh, going back and forth. Uh, so it's going to be a little odd, obviously a little different than normal because 
they're going off of one another. Um, so this is going to be a bit of a different sermon development, but it'll also be helpful in order to show, um, you know, one, the body together, which is why they're doing this. We'll get to the end and you'll see this, but the idea is that the body thrives off of each other. And he set this up that we're not meant to live in isolation together. I think we've all learned that through uh, this whole last year and a half in regards to having to, you know, do everything that we have to do uh, with uh, COVID. But the idea here is that uh, we're not built to be alone and we're actually supposed to be and we're hardwired to be together and to live off each other and to thrive uh, amongst one another. That's not just a spiritual principle. That's just a reality life principle. But what he's showing here and what they're setting up is this idea as as the church, that's a whole nother level. Uh, not only is it this, we need to be together just as human beings, but we need to be together as the body of Christ. Uh, with uh, I, I like his illustration. Again, illustrations are great if they're used well. Um, and he didn't beat that illustration to death. He just said, hey, look, physically, look at this. This tree is doing well. This tree is not doing well. Why? Because one has nourishment, one does not have nourishment. And even the one that's doing well is doing well and above because now it's actually uh, growing even more. And then he uses that whole analogy of one helping the other and then leading into this idea of the church and how the church should operate. Now, you're going to see this, this whole theme develops through this whole sermon. So just keep that in mind as we're listening that he's, uh, this is sort of the jumping off point onto, hey, you know, how do we as a body of believers uh, live together? And here in a moment, we're actually going to be bringing some scripture, uh, as he's already mentioned, Hebrews 10, uh, in order to kind of to show biblically what that looks like. And then that'll be uh, they'll dive into that even deeper. But not to get ahead of ourselves. The idea here is that, hey, we're going to we're going to show what biblical unity looks like with two of our pastors up here. Uh, preaching together, which again is odd. They don't do that every Sunday. He acknowledged that, that it's a little like what's going on. He explains it from the get-go. And then they're going to jump into this. So let's listen to what Mike has to say. Uh, definitely what God has done in my life uh, through through this church. As I think about my time, a lot of you know I, I came here to McLean Bible Church just about 15 years ago almost. And uh, God has used the leaders and the members in this church to shape not just my ministry, but to shape me. Um, and, and, and that's true in so many ways. I think about specific people. So I think about Dave Young, who shaped so much of the way I view the Christian life. A life that, is, that doesn't just fit God in, but a life that is built around enjoying intimacy with God. Uh, I think about uh, Lydia, who's been, uh, she's, she's just become like a, a second, you know, another auntie to my kids. Um, but she's been such a faithful friend to me and my wife, Ashley, in some of the darkest and most difficult uh, seasons of our life. Uh, I think about meeting with one of our elders. This was back when Ashley and I first got married, and I was trying to figure out what it meant to lead her spiritually. And the look on her face just made it abundantly clear that I was failing miserably. And so I was like, I need help. And uh, so I reached out to one of our elders, and I remember sitting with him out in the cafeteria here at our Tyson's location, and him just pouring into me, just sharing out of lessons he's learned over, the, over decades uh, of marriage. And I could go on and on and on, but I'm so thankful for the ways God has used this church to help me grow in my personal life. I've heard Mike say numerous times how these last 15 years have shaped him. I would just add to that in the two or three years I've been here, like this church has shaped, affected me. You have shaped and affected me. And that's what, that's what we want to look at together in God's word today, how this is actually how, the way God has designed us. So if you're in Hebrews. Okay, so they're about to get into Hebrews 10 and to actually, you know, look at the scripture, unpack it. But I think this is, uh, how do I say this? This is, this, is, uh, this is how pastors, I would pray that all pastors feel about their church, that, um, that they, the, the, the congregation, the people that they're, they're there to shepherd over, actually, even though it's difficult at times, there's never going to be this perfect church where everything works out. 
but even though when it's difficult at times, they, they know that the people that they're shepherding love them. Uh, they're building into them. They're praying for them. They're sacrificing for them as the pastors are sacrificing for them. Like it's just, it's this back and forth between the congregation and the pastor in a really healthy, good way uh, where both of these pastors, uh, Dave and Mike, have uh, stood up and been like, hey, guys, thank you. Like I've grown because of you. My family's grown because of you. You've helped us through situations. Like this is the beautiful picture of the congregation understanding that you're not just here for us. Like we're here for you, right? It's this uh, a really biblical understanding of what this looks like. Um, and they're going to get into that actually more. This is the cool thing. The, the further I got into this, like uh, to, to, to be transparent and honest, you know, I was a bit concerned going into this sermon because I thought, I don't know where this is going. Like, what are they doing? Um, but the more you get into this, uh, the more beautifully they impact the scriptures to demonstrate uh, what's going on. So again, from the get-go, we're only 15 minutes in. You already know uh, how I feel about this sermon because uh, I'm really bad at giving a poker face. But what I want you to hear is this setup to this idea that, hey, guys, look, like um, we're built to be together. This biblically is how it works out. Us living in faith with one another. The pastor saying, hey, you guys have helped us grow. You've helped our families. You've, you've been there faithfully for us, helping us, leading us closer uh, to be more like Jesus uh, as we uh, taught you uh, to be more like Jesus. And, um, and then we're going to dive into Hebrews 10. So here's the important part, right? So all of this is great. This would be a great sentimental hoo-ha. Uh, but without the Bible, like, what's it founded on, right? So here we go. We're going to get into Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. There's so much here we could talk about for hours. But I want to read verses 19 through 25. And as I read it, I, I want you just to look for the repetition of two words three times. So three times you're going to see two words repeated together. See if you can notice them. This is the Word of God. The Bible says, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place, places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So did you see... The two words repeated three times. The very beginning of verse 22, let us. Beginning of verse 23, let us. Then beginning of verse 24, and let us. So the author of Hebrews is saying, in light of what Jesus has done in each of our lives individually, let us, together as a church, let us do, do three things. And when you think about it, these three things summarize how God has designed the church to help you and me thrive. Look, look at them. You might write them down. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So one, we help each other flourish in faith. We help each other draw near to God. What a statement. Do you want to draw near to God? You need other people in your life to do that. You need to be around other people who are pursuing God in order to help you pursue God. This is one of the things I pray for every week in my life, for my wife, for my kids. Like I pray that my, my kids would have friends who help them flourish in their faith. Don't we all want that for our children, our teenagers? They would have friends who are helping them flourish in faith. Like students, prioritize friends who will help you flourish in your faith. I pray this for Heather, for myself. I pray this for all the members of this church family. I pray specifically every week that you would have people in your life, not just from a distance, but up close and personal, who are helping you flourish in your faith, draw nearer to God. This is why. Okay, so we'll pause there real quick. But um, this, this, so we're looking at sermon development. He's going off each verse. I mean, I don't think I have to explain this to you, but in case I do. Um, he's going off each let us and then building points off of them. The first one being we have to have people around us to build up faith. Now, here, here's the thing. This isn't really part of the sermon review, but this is, um, well, it is, I guess, but 
this is an observation I've made as I've ran the Instagram page, that there are a lot of people that have this concept for whatever reason that you can be like some like lone star Christian over here by yourself. Like I don't need to be a part of the body. I can be at home. I can read my Bible by myself. I can pray by myself. I can live this Christian life out by myself. Like I don't need other people. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Um, and you'd be surprised at how many people think that, like how many people um, just don't, don't have any desire to be a part of a church. And a lot of that usually stems from like, they've been a part of a church that's not healthy. That's not biblical. And to be quite frank with you there, it's hard to find a biblical church that is healthy. It just, it, it is. And the fact that McLean Bible, like, I don't go there. I obviously, I am observing this from afar. So I'm sure they have problems. I'm sure they're not perfect. I don't, they actually later they'll say they're not perfect. Um, I'm sure it's not like the most wonderful Disneyland place in the world, but from what we can tell and from what I do know of people that have messaged me that do go there, um, that it is a biblically grounded church that is healthy in its, in its attempt to develop people, to push people toward Jesus, to send people out to the mission field. Like it, it's a biblical, you can look at the biblical model and say, Hey, this is a church that fits that. And that's the idea here. You're, you're going to have to, I think, Oftentimes we take for granted that there's just not biblically healthy churches like on every street corner. Now there's a church on every street corner, but that doesn't mean it's biblically healthy. And I think sometimes we get discouraged because either we've been ex experiences where that's not the case, or, you know, we've attended like four or five trying to find one and we just give up after the sixth one because we're like, where, like, where is there one? Is there one around me? Now, to be truthful, there's gonna, there might be times where you have to drive a little bit to get to one, right? Um, you may have to drive. A half hour 45 minutes an hour to get to a biblically you know based church uh but it's worth it spiritually and what he's talking about here is that there needs to be people in your life like personal not like like we're talking about five six people uh two three maybe even really personal people that are in your life that um that you can feed off of that you can you know talk about the bible with that can know your burdens and pray for you like i there's no way to describe to you unless you are in that kind of relationship with somebody how helpful that is to you in your spiritual life. That you, this isn't just, you know, you trying to do this by yourself. This is this is the people that you're texting every day, you're you're seeing every Sunday, like you're sharing Bible verses with, you're worshiping with, you're praying for, you know their struggle, like you know them. And some it takes a very long time to develop those relationships. Sometimes it, it takes some work, but I'm telling you, it is well worth it to pursue that, to pray that God opens those doors. And it's going to take you stepping out of your bubble sometimes. Look, uh, despite the Instagram and despite this YouTube channel and despite everything else, like I'm an introvert. Okay. Like if you were to come up to me like, Hey, Hey, you're you. And I'm like, uh, hey, like I, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not super extroverted. But the idea here is that as as part of being a believer and being part of a body, there's a there's there's a part of that where you have to step out of your bubble sometimes as a, as an introvert if you are one, and pursue those relationships because they are incredibly beneficial for you when you do as far as growing and going deeper. But um, anyway, I just wanted to share that because I think sometimes we go well, like this is a nice fairy tale, but I don't know anybody like that. Well, you're gonna have to push a little bit. You're gonna have to. Um, you're going to have to go out on a limb probably in order to find that you're going to have to be a part of some groups, right? So if there's a men's group, how about you go to that men's group, give it a shot, give it a couple months, 
like right develop when somebody says hey how you doing actually talk to them okay like um you can't just assume that you're going to sit in a, in a seat or a few in a church and somebody's going to be like, hey, buddy, you want to be my best friend and talk about Jesus all the time? Like, that's just not going to happen, right? You have to develop those. But anyway, great first point. Hi, I've mentioned it before, and we're going to mention it a lot this year. Working, we're working behind the scenes a lot right now. It's going to kick in all the more as we're able to gather more. But we want every single member of this church to be in a church group with people up close and personal who are helping each one of us flourish together in faith. So that's the first let us, then the second so you look at verse 23 and it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And here's why. For he who promised is faithful. And so we also help each other hold on to hope. Uh, and the hope that's mentioned here is not like an I hope so kind of hope. This is not wishful thinking. When you see hope mentioned throughout the New Testament, it's confident expectation of future good. That's what hope is, confident expectation of future good. It's living life with a deep assurance that the pain we're feeling or the problem we're facing isn't the end of the story. And here's why that's so important. Because every single one of us is prone to mishandle our hope. We're tempted to base our hope on the things of this world, things that will inevitably fail us at some point. And so when those things are going well, then our joy, our confidence about the future is high. But when those things begin to break down, then our hope has nothing to stand on. And that's when we're tempted to lose hope all together. And so that's why we as a church have to encourage each other and help each other hold on to the hope held out for us in God's word. It's a hope that's not based on our circumstances or even based on our feelings, but a hope that's based on the character and promises of an all-powerful and unchanging God. Even as I'm listening to Mike say that, I just... So that's an incredibly amazing point, too. Now, again, understand, these aren't just points they're coming up with. This is the distinctive difference between um, a sermon of... So here's the thing. You could have probably come up with similar points without going off of Scripture, right? And that would have not been as helpful. Because I've said before in, in these sermon reviews, like we, pastors can say really helpful things, very inspiring and encouraging things. But the, the question is, where are they based in, right? Is it based in, you know, Pastor X and Y saying this? Or is it based on the fact that Scripture says this and Pastor X and Y are bringing that out of Scripture? That's the idea here. So as pastors, as we preach, the idea is to continually point back to the word saying, hey, this is what the word says. This is what the word encourages us to do. This is what, uh, what we see in Scripture. Not, hey, this is great point, great point, great point. Hey, I thought of all of these. They're in my new book. Uh, it's this is what the scripture says. This is where your hope is found. This is where you can go back to by yourself all the time. This is where you and your group can study. This is where you can go for like it's anchored in the word. So that, this is what I want you to see the difference between some sermons versus other sermons that they, they're going off of Hebrews 10, the text here, walking us through, showing us that um, as a body of believers, these are the things that we need. We need to have, you know, people in our lives. We need to have them in our lives, not only for certain things as such as, you know, such as prayer and community, but also so we can spur each other on, so we can remind each other of the hope we have in Christ. Um, the hope we have in all of, you know, in the fact that this, this, this isn't the end, right? And it's not based on our, our, our feelings and our circumstances, but it's based on, on our hope in, in who Jesus is. So um, I want you to see that this is, you know, it's great to have bullet points that are encouraging, but what are those based on? And they're, they're, I want you to see this is why it's so important to, to, to dig into that just a little bit deeper. This is why expositional preaching is good, because it goes back to the scripture. There's no way to get off on it because it's all anchored in scripture. I'm looking at this tree and I'm just thinking about, I'm thinking about individual people in this church who I've seen walk through, who this last week, 
I've seen walk through really hard times and they're holding on to hope and I'm, I'm trying to be there to help them hold on to hope and as I see them holding on to hope, they're encouraging me and my faith, like the way this works together. Then the last let us is in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. So we help each other grow in love and good works. What a great picture. Like I love this imagery. This is what the church does. We help each other love people better. We stir each other up. Like just picture that, kind of stirring up all across the church more good works as a result of our community with each other. We're more loving people, doing more good deeds because of the people around us in the church. Think about this practically. Don't, don't you want to be around other husbands who make you a better husband? Other wives who help you to be a better wife? Don't you want to be around other singles who are showing you how to maximize singleness for the spread of the gospel and God's glory? Don't you want to be around other teenagers, other college students, young adults, senior adults, other people who inspire you to greater love for your neighbor and more faithfulness in sharing the gospel. This is so key to you and me thriving. I would say exhibit A of this has been all that you as a church have done across the city during this pandemic. I am so proud of this church family in light of verse 24. You realize what you've done in a time of such tension in our city and our country over these last 10, 11 months, such division, people debating, dividing over everything from mass to politics. What you have done is come together given millions of dollars, spent thousands of hours, tens of thousands of hours, side by side, packing and distributing food and sharing the gospel with people in need all over our city. In other words, instead of stirring up tension and division and anger in each other's lives, you've stirred up love and good works in each other's lives. This is what we were created to do, not this. So I think that is a great distinction. So part of a pastor's job, and I was told this uh, back, I forget which professor it was, but back in, in college, that a pastor is actually, when he's standing up on a, uh, in front of the congregation on Sunday morning, he's got a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. And the idea of why he has a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand is because he knows that the congregation is viewing the things around them. They're aware of culture and everything that's happening in the news cycle. But his job is to address the, those things in the newspaper through the lens of the Bible. And this is what Platt does here. This is what Mike is doing as well as they tag team this, this sermon is they're saying, hey, I know that you know about all of these things. So he mentions masks and politics and uh, the pandemic. And he mentions, hey, he goes, I know you know about these things, but you guys, instead of stirring up division, stirred up these good works in one another. And this, again, this just builds on his point, right? We are meant to be together. We are built to be in community. Why? Well, to push each other toward hope, to remind each other toward hope, but also stir up in one another uh, this, 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 this remembering of who Jesus is, this good works, that we're to remind each other that we've been changed. We're, we're actually to do something in our world uh, because of how we've been changed. We're now driven to do those things. We're, we're to do good works. And this idea that, you know, we're stirring each other up, that it's not a matter of like, we're going, you know, no, we got to do it. It's like, hey, you want to come help me do this? You want to you want to participate in this with me? Because there's times, here's this imagery of stirring things up, and I can't remember if he mentions it or not. But this image of stirring things up in one another is there's going to be some times that you just don't want to do something. You're tired. You're, <laughs> you're wore out. You're just having a bad week. But a brother or sister comes to you and they stir up that hope in you, remind you of the good work we're supposed to do, and they do it alongside of you. And honestly, there's, there's times where that's happened, where I come out of that situation going, I am so glad that I gave that time to that. Even though like at the moment, I didn't think I wanted to do it. I didn't think I had time to do it. I'd much rather just go home, take a nap. You come out of that situation going, you know, that was like, I know that they said that benefited them, but that benefited me. 
right? There's been certain situations where I've, you know, volunteered my time to go do something for a ministry. And before it, I thought, man, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And then, you know, I'm stirred up <laughs> by a brother or sister uh, to, to, you know, fulfill what I was, I told them I was going to do. And then I come out of that and I go, man, that was, that was so helpful to my, to my soul. Um, that, that, you know, I know, I know we were ministering to these people, but those people just ministered to me, uh, in the sense, you know, just, just seeing how God works in the lives of people, um, just really, uh, just it, not only does it stir you up to do more good works, but it just encourages you of how God works in the lives of people that you just, you wouldn't have seen, you wouldn't have seen how he did that unless you were doing those works. So anyway. So let's keep doing it, by the way. Like, go online, sign up to serve, and continue to give, and let's love and stir up good works in each other. So we show Metro Washington, D.C., this is who the church is, and this is what the church does. And this is an awesome, beautiful, powerful picture of the church in Hebrews 10. One thing I forgot to mention here. So this is one of the things that I think that was really revealing um, this last year for the church. Like, what is the church known for? right? Is the church known for, you know, X, Y, and Z over here? Or is it known for, uh, you know, giving and serving and being Jesus people, right? Are we known for not being able to be quiet about masks or politics or policies? Or are we known for the people that just won't shut up about Jesus, won't stop serving regardless of what's happening? Don't, don't stop giving, even though the econ uh, economic situation is a little like iffy, right? Um, like, what are we known for? Obviously, there are fights to be had. There are things to take stands on. But what, like, is supposed to usurp all of that? We're supposed to be known as Jesus people before anything else. And I think that's a beautiful picture of that. A people who are helping each other flourish in faith, hold on to hope in him, especially in hard times, and helping each other grow in love and good works. Apparently, the church is not just a building you come to and sit with other people in a service and walk away until the next week. And it's not a service you turn on the TV or a tablet and then wait to do it again the next week. The church is a body, a community, literally a family that flourishes in faith, holds on to hope, and shows love and good works together. Which okay, so he's going to get into his last point. I know I keep interrupting this, but that little section was really um, helpful for those that are, are, are a little confused right now. Um, so there's lots of people that because they don't, and he's going to build this out. This is why I'm stopping now. He's about to build this out. But... Um, this last year was really helpful to see how people understood, had they been taught what church was, right? Was it just coming to a building and hearing a service? Or is it more than that? Is it being a part of a community of believers? Now, there's a distinct break there, and he's about to uh, kind of teach through this. But he also is careful to say that it's not just watching on a tablet or a computer screen and then doing it the next week too. Because I think sometimes that's the... What, what we've seen is some people would say, well, church isn't just a building, but they're more than happy just to click into a service every week and then click right back out of a service and not be a part of anything else, which just demonstrates that they really at the heart do think that church is just a service. They just are glad they don't have to get up and go to a building this week. They can just do it on their computer screen. And he's about to break down what the church looks like. And this is probably one of the better sermons that I've seen in which it's broken down in such a way that it's very explained of this is what a biblical church looks like. On a Sunday morning, this isn't a conference. This isn't a breakout session. This isn't some you come to later. This is demonstrating for the people this is what the church looks like. This leads to the question, how? So how can each of us thrive as part of a church family like this? And God answers 
that question in his word in ways we might not think. It's interesting. God doesn't tell us to prioritize some of the things we often think of when we think of church. A certain building, or great programs, or a slick website, or a hip pastor, which we have obviously not prioritized, at least on this side of the stage. I appreciate your affirmation as you laugh. Uh, Mike's a little closer to that cut. But God doesn't say prioritize any of those things. He says, give yourself to these things. And we summarize these things here at NBC in 12 traits of a biblical church. And we've said, based on God's word, if we will give ourselves together and in our church groups to these 12 things that God clearly prioritizes for the church, then we're trusting just like water and sunlight will cause a plant to thrive, these 12 things will cause us and our, and our lives to thrive in relationship with God and others. So, Okay, so he's about to go into these 12 traits really, really fast. Now, I was a little iffy about it because I was like, ah, this, I mean, because what they're going to do is they're going to use the passages they just talked about and kind of work through in the top in these three points to then move that into the 12 traits of their church. And I was a bit iffy on it because it's one of those things where like, it seems like we've just used this text as a jumping board into this, which you could see it that way. Um, what it appears to be, and what I hope you kind of see as they walk through this is they're saying, Hey, these are the things that we need, right? These are, we need to be in community with one another. We need to be reminding each other of the hope we have in Christ. We need to be stirring each other up for good works. And this is how we do those things in a healthy way. And then they're going to outline this, right? So sometimes, um, it's important to explain like the, the nuts and bolts of how your church should operate to your people. But you're doing so to say, look, if we're going to do this biblical mandate, we need to understand what this looks like for us as a body of believers so that we can do this biblical mandate well. And I think this is the idea here that, that they have as they're building the sermon out, that these next 12 steps aren't like necessarily coming out of this scripture they preached on. And it's not expositional in nature as far as um, teaching and training from this text. But it's saying that if we're going to do these things from this text, we, we have to understand what a biblical church looks like in order to do this as we're supposed to. And they're going to get into those now. So simple things beyond what we might think of. When we think of building programs, this or that. Like, no. The kind of things that if you have these things wherever you are in the world, whether you're in Metro Washington, D.C. or in the Middle East, as long as you prioritize these 12 things, you can thrive as part of the church. I say over and over again, my prayer for every member of this church is that God could pick up any member of this church, put you anywhere in the world, and you would know how to be a disciple of Jesus, how to make disciples of Jesus, and how to gather together as his church with only his word and his spirit and each other without dependence on anything else. So in this last part of our time today, Mike and I just want to remind us of these 12 traits. So you might write them down. Some of you have heard these before. We did a whole series on these a couple years ago. For some of you, they'll be new. Regardless, I want to encourage you to write them down. We're going to hit them pretty quick, but I would add, I'm actually starting an online class this Wednesday night that will go for the next 10 weeks. Anybody who wants to join can be a part. It's online, 7 o'clock every Wednesday night. If you can get on that time, if you can't, you can uh, join in whatever time is convenient for you. It's mclanebible.org slash 12 traits. And whether you've been a member of NBC for decades or you're new to NBC, if you want to know what we're prioritizing as a church, these next 10 weeks will focus on these 12 traits. And Mike and I are just going to give an overview of them here. And as we walk through these, just think about how each one of them God has designed in love for you and me, each of us, to help us thrive. So, Mike, why don't you hit the first one? Yeah, let's dive in. So the first trait of a biblical church uh, is biblical evangelism. And the first time you see the church mentioned in the New Testament, it's in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, where Jesus promises to build his church. And like David said, not the church as a building or a Sunday event, but the church as a community of people who are united around this central proclamation. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the greatest news in the whole world. 
Listen, if you're, if you're exploring Christianity, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then you need to lean in and listen here because Jesus is, this is the good news, he is who he claimed to be. The Messiah, God himself who came to us in human flesh in order to accomplish what we could not accomplish on our own. He lived and perfectly fulfilled God's commandments so that through faith in him, we could have the righteousness that we need in order to be acceptable to God. And he died and fully satisfied God's judgment, the judgment that we deserve for our sins so that through faith in him, we could be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead. This is why we celebrate as Christians. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he has ultimate power and authority over Satan's sin and death and promising that he will one day return as the supreme judge and the sovereign king over all creation. Jesus is Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. Ha, what, right? Like you, sometimes you'll watch a whole sermon without hearing that. They're saying, hey, look, if we're going to be that biblical church, this is what, like, this is, this is step one of what we have to know and understand and believe that Jesus is Lord. And then he just lays out in such a simple term, this is what the gospel is. So if you don't get it, if you've never heard of it before, if you've, if you've connected gospel to something else, he says, hey, this is what it is. Jesus lived the perfect life, died the death that we were supposed to die, rose from sin and death, and he's coming again to judge. Like, look, that could be unpacked so you can understand the gospel more, but there is in the, such a concise point the gospel. So if you want to be a local church, biblical church, boom, step one. That is a must, right? And that will, that will separate uh, a lot of churches out right there. Right there. So that's like, I'm just, here's the thing. I watch so many sermons and there's a lot of times that's not even mentioned, right? That's the gospel right there. Step one. The Lord has come and he has accomplished salvation for all those who will receive him by faith. And just as he did for the early church in Acts 2, Jesus empowers his church today to spread that good news to everyone we can. I love it. Yes, clap for that. Here's why. As man, as I'm thinking of this, and we, I know we got to move on, like we have 12 of these, but this is what I love. I'm just so... Because I'm hearing Mike proclaim the Lordship of Jesus, and I'm looking out across this room, thinking about other brothers and sisters, a part of this church family. Like, this is what makes us the church. Yeah. Not that we look like each other, and not that we even, uh, yeah, have the same thoughts about everything. It's, we all know Jesus is Lord, yeah. and we're submitting our lives to his Lordship, and we want the world to know he's Lord. Yeah. So, all right, second trait, flowing from that, biblical preaching and teaching. So we don't just proclaim Jesus as Lord, we proclaim all of his word, from cover to cover in the Bible. So this is why we devote a significant amount of time, every time we gather together, to the teaching of this word. Because this is how Jesus, as Lord, leads his church. We'll mention this more when we talk about biblical leadership. But one of the necessary competencies of a pastor in the church is to be able to teach Jesus. What? They're supposed to be able to teach? Oh, my goodness. That? I'm sorry. I just had it. When I heard that, I thought, thank, thank you, Jesus, that somebody says this. This is word. Here's why. Picture it. So here's the church. Jesus is the leader, Lord of his church, the chief shepherd of the church. And Jesus sets up under shepherds, pastors, to lead his church based on his word, which means a pastor only has authority to lead the church based on leading according to the word of Jesus. That means whenever Mike or I or anybody else stands before this church, we do not have the right to teach this church our thoughts, our opinions, our convictions, our ideas. We only have authority to speak in the church to the extent in which we are speaking the words of Jesus. That means if Mike or I or anybody else can't show you in God's word what we are saying to you, then do not listen. Do you hear that? Do you, I mean, here's the thing. That, that right there. So, like, the sermon was good up to this point in regards to community, in regards to the, what, what community is supposed to do with one another. But here's the thing. They just started off 
with I mean <laughs> this is so good. I would just look, if you want to shut this off and just go listen to this sermon, do that because you don't need my commentary on this. I'm probably going to bring this down. Like I'm lowering the bar on the quality that you're hearing here. But they start with Jesus is Lord, the gospel, but after the gospel, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to preach and proclaim this gospel. And if we say something as pastors that doesn't line up with this word and we can't show you how in context it lines up with this word, don't listen. Okay, so all the churches that weren't already out at step one at proclaiming Jesus is Lord, there's a whole lot more that have just left the table. Because why? Because they can't back up what they say. Right? They, they'll they'll, they'll all the time with all of the things that they talk about, but they can't show you in God's word. Like they'll talk for hours about some nonsense coming out of their mouth, but they can't show you how it, it, it is based in God's word, that it is built and founded on that, that it's anchored in that. It's just silliness coming out of their head. Like, this is such a good point. But to the extent with which we can show you what God is saying in his word, then we all have a responsibility to believe and live according to it. There's the second good point. So lots of times we like to discount pastors and be like, well, that's their opinion. Well, okay. Is it? Is it though? Like if they can back it up in scripture, if they can show you where it's grounded in context in scripture, like there is a duty for us as believers to say, okay, like I might have contention with it. I might not like what you said, but it's based in scripture. So now I'm going to put myself under, first of all, under the, the authority of scripture, but scripturally your pastor has authority over you in regards to teaching and training and discipline. So I'm also going to put my myself under that discipline as well, because you're the shepherd placed over me. Again, this all comes back to how do you see the church? How do you see its, its form and its function? And biblically, they're outlining that. Biblical preaching and teaching, not just in this kind of gathering in the church, in church group gatherings. Whenever we're together, the word is at the center of our community. I'll be talking about this more actually this Wednesday night, or the, this particular trait. But big picture, everything we do as a church must be totally tethered to God's word. So that's the second trait. And God's spirit, which leads to the next trait. And I love that because the church is a movement of the spirit of God. And that's why when you look throughout Acts, the church was so committed to biblical prayer. That's the next trait, biblical prayer. You read through the book of Acts and you can't help but notice how often the early church prayed. They prayed to give thanks to God in their weekly gatherings, to plead for God's help in difficult situations, to seek God's wisdom together before major decisions. They were always praying. And that's why you see in Acts 1, 14 and Acts 2, 42, Luke describes the church as constantly, listen to this word, constantly devoting themselves to prayer. And God was constantly responding to their prayers. You see this in Acts, and I, I think about this and desire this for our church. The gospel was spreading. Lives were being transformed. Sick people were being healed. Leaders were being multiplied. New churches were being started. As they kept praying, the Holy Spirit kept working. In any and every situation they found themselves in, they knew that they had access to the presence and the power of Almighty God, and so do we. And that's why prayer has to be our first response, not our last resort. Yes, as individual Christians in our personal lives and with our families, but also together as a church family. And that's why prayer is such a critical part of our vision and strategy in this new chapter together as a church. You can read through that vision on our website. Some of you have already read through that at mcclainbible.org slash a new chapter. And at the bottom of that page, you can access our new chapter prayer guide, which you can use to kind of help you pray in specific ways for our church. We okay, so two things. One, we'll do on biblical prayer first. Um, I love how his, his, what he said was that that should be our first response, not only personally, but corporately. So we're very reactionary. I think, again... <laughs> this last year has clearly shown how reactionary we are. We'll react before we even know all the facts on any situation. 
So our first reaction, he says, should be prayer personally and corporately. Then he mentions this. If you want to go uh, look at this, um, it's uh, I think it's like a 10, 12 page PDF. Um, again, not that you want to replicate, you know, you know, copy paste everything that McLean Bible Church does. But I think this was like if, if, if you're a part of a church leadership and you're looking for a way to strike that very good balance between uh, how do we live as a people distinctively different from the world, but also showing the world how the Bible says to live corporately together with a lot of differences in there. Uh, not only background, but economical, also ethnicity, also, you know, city and rule. Like, how do we do this? Like they, I feel like, and you might disagree, but I feel like they did a really good job of striking that balance of saying, this is what it looks like to be a biblically um, diverse church, diverse economically, ethnically, um, politically, like all of these things, like this is what it looks like as we strive toward Jesus together. And I know that's like a really contentious thing right now. But um, anyway, just go look at it. I think they did a pretty good job. We want to be a church that is characterized by biblical prayer, a church that constantly prays for that which can only be accomplished in God's power and attributed to God's glory. All right, so let's start putting these together then. So evangelism, teaching and preaching, prayer leads to fourth trait of a church, biblical discipleship. See how they fit together as we confess Jesus as Lord, we learn and submit to his word, seek him through prayer, and as we do this, we grow together as disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is the process by which we're becoming more and more like Jesus in our lives. We talk about all the time, we are either going to be discipled by this world or be discipled by God's word. And all week long, on our phones, TVs, tablets, we're being discipled by the world. And the church is designed to say, no, no, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently, love differently, live differently. This is biblical discipleship. One of my favorite verses along these lines is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Train yourself for godliness. The word for train there is gymnazo. It's the word from which we get gymnasium. So picture the church in this way. Church is a gymnasium for training disciples of Jesus. You don't go to a gym just to sit. You go to a gym to get stronger. So picture that when you're coming to worship gathering. Picture that when you're going to a church group. You're going to the gym. Like put on the workout clothes. Biblical discipleship. We're training to become disciples of Jesus as members of a body who belong to one another. That leads to the next trait. I really, I really wish uh, there was another Greek word in First Timothy because I have no familiarity with the gym. Uh, okay, so discipleship, the idea. See, I, I want you to see that because I think, man, discipleship is something that is really difficult uh, in regards to the local church. Some churches do it incredibly well. Some churches just have taken that ball and just been like, Boop, I don't know what to do with it. Um, but the idea here is what he says is that like, if we're not growing in our faith, if we're not being discipled, if we're not, if, if we're not any closer to understanding the word and being closer to God and in community than we were six, eight, 12 months ago, like that's, that's a little bit of an issue. Like we should, we should have, should have been growing in that process. Uh, and like you said, this whole idea of becoming stronger in the faith. Why? Because we're in community with one another. Why? Because we're hearing the word preach. Why? Because we're praying. Like the idea here is that we are, we're supposed to be growing, right? And we can't do that. And this goes back to my point that I made uh, earlier on in the sermon review. We can't do that by ourselves. Right, just clicking into a service on Sunday morning and clicking back out and not be a part of a community, like that's just you can't do that. Um, there's nobody, there's no iron sharpening iron there. Uh, but anyway, keep going. Uh, but the next trait is biblical membership, and a church should be, and we strive to be, 
And if you're new to our church, I hope you feel this. We, we want to be and should be a, a church community that is warm and welcoming to all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds and beliefs. But the actual members of a church are those who have made a commitment to follow Jesus together as a church family. So church members are made up of people who give credible evidence of repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they commit to gathering together on a regular basis in order to be the body of Christ to one another. And so becoming a member of a church is so important because God wants every Christian to be known and cared for by local church members and by local church leaders. So that's what? Okay, so here's the thing. Like you, I, you don't hardly hear this ever talked about. Church membership is like the thing of the past. I mean, you, you will rarely ever, like I think this is the first time I've heard about it on an online sermon in ever. This might be the first time I've ever heard this come from a church. But like, it's something that we need for sure back again, because the distinguishing thing that he said here is, is important and incredibly true. The church welcomes everyone in to, 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 to witness the body, to participate in the activities, to benefit from what God is doing within that church. But there are, uh, there is this kind of this, this separate membership that says, hey, we hold to these things to be true. Jesus is Lord. We are under the authority of Scripture, and we are under the authority of our, our eldership, and we are those that pray, and we are those that give, and we are those that are being discipled. And that's incredibly important to make that distinction, because when you don't make that distinction, what happens is a lot of the cases, there was a couple of articles uh, this last summer, I think, it was it was earlier in the last part of last year, but uh, a lot of these articles coming out saying, yeah, well, these churches welcome uh, X, Y, and Z kind of people, but they won't, you know, let them in leadership. Well, there's a reason, right? Because that leadership comes from that membership body, which this membership body has said, hey, we believe that these things are true about Jesus. These things are true about, uh, you know, uh, gender and sexuality. Uh, these things are true about how we should be generous. These things are true about how uh, a man and woman should operate within marriage. These things are true about, you know, how uh, the qualifications of eldership within the like. There, there are certain things that members hold to within a church that say, hey, these are the things that we believe. These are the things that we teach um, uh, that maybe the wider general population of that church uh, may not. Because, again, this comes back to how you see the church, right? So pastors know that as we preach on Sunday morning, there's going to be people out there that don't believe, that are just questioning, that are still kind of new in this Christianity, this faith thing. Um, so you preach to them, but the primary people you're preaching to is the body of believers, the membership, right? To teach and to train them to go out and uh, to the, do the work of discipleship. Um, but you're aware that there's people that are also there that aren't that membership. But there is a distinction made within the church between those that are members and those that are not, because those that are members hold to certain things. They've been through certain classes and catechisms, and they hold to certain truths, whereas the general maybe population outside of the membership doesn't. And that's the distinction. And that's what he was trying to point out. Like, we welcome everyone. Like, I don't, we don't care about your background, what you believe, where you're from. You are welcome here to participate in uh, the, the body. But there are certain things that members believe. And if you're part of the membership, which holds a higher regard as far as probably I'm assuming they probably have some say in finances. They probably have some say in, you know, the programs that people go, I like, I'm not sure how the structure of McLean Bible church is set up, but in general, that's what membership there's, there's these certain things that members are allowed to do because they hold to certain things. So anyway, that's the sixth trait, biblical leadership. 
I've mentioned this already, and it makes sense. Like, God has designed leaders in the church to help people flourish in faith, hold on to hope, do more good works, and express love toward people in need. And so the Bible describes, God's word sets up two particular groups of leaders in the church. The first is pastors or elders or overseers. Those are interchangeable terms in the New Testament. God sets up pastors to be models of Jesus' character, to teach Jesus' word as they love and serve and shepherd the church. That picture of a shepherd means they nourish, they cherish, they guard, they protect God's people. As overseers in the church, pastors possess a humble authority, responsibility, accountability before God and the church to love and lead church members faithfully. And then God calls deacons to support pastors and meet needs among God's people all across the church. There's a ton we can talk about here. Clearest picture where we see this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. We'll dive more in the class. But I think just for now, I trust we all realize that biblical leadership is critical in a church. Like if a church is led by people who are not walking with Jesus, who are not teaching and leading according to God's word, then that church will inevitably go astray. Yep. I mean, 100%. I'm very interested to see what he says in this class later on this year as far as biblical leadership. If you're interested, we have a biblical leadership video, eldership video that we uploaded not too long ago, walking through uh, a, a little bit more in detail of what he just said as far as elders and deacons, the qualifications for that, what that looks like, questions that you guys ask uh, about eldership, and I tried to answer. Uh, but there is, the video aside, even if you don't want to watch the video, 100% fine, whatever, but underneath it, there are resources galore for you to do your own research on. So just a little plug there for that. So please pray for leaders in the church, for Mike, myself, Wade, other pastors, elders, other staff members, other leaders across this church in so many different capacities that leaders in NBC would walk humbly with Jesus and would lead wisely according to God's word and God's spirit as we foster community with each other, which leads to this next trait. So next one is biblical fellowship. And listen, if we're honest, sometimes churches can feel like movie theaters. Right, where we gather for the same event to enjoy the same experience. We may even kind of give each other cordial hellos on the way in and out. But listen to how the Bible describes what relationships should be like in the local church. So there's over 50 what we call kind of one another's in the New Testament. And just listen to a few of the members of the church love each other, encourage one another, build each other up. They care for one another, serve one another, bear each other's burdens. They're kind to one another and forgive each other. They confess their sins to one another and teach, admonish, exhort one another in the word of God. Romans 12 verse 10 summarizes all that by saying church members should be devoted to one another. He wants us to be involved in each other's lives and know each other well enough to help each other grow. And so I was, I was just talking to one of our group leaders this past week, and their group all met together to, de to determine kind of who and what they want to be as a group together. And they committed together to be all in on these 12 traits. And so even during a pandemic, they've still continued to meet together, sometimes on Zoom, sometimes meeting in driveways, just trying to, to, to stay faithful in their commitment to one another, to be biblical family to each other. Well, two young adults in their group, Alex and Sophia, are getting married soon. And due to the pandemic, the group wasn't able to gather to celebrate in person. And so they decided to do a Zoom celebration together. So we'll show you a picture here. You can see Alex and Sophia in that top middle box. And so they, they all dressed up. They, they lit candles. They decorated their Zoom screens. They all brought their own sparkling cider to the Zoom call to toast the engaged couple. And listen, each member of the group came prepared with either a scripture uh, or to, to share prayer with that couple. And after everybody had shared and, and the group prayed over them, Alex was just so moved and overwhelmed in that moment that he shared that this was the first time in their lives that they had ever experienced true biblical family in a local church. So I think that that last sentence he said is going to be true of a lot of people that either see this video or maybe have been in churches that aren't, you know, don't, don't prioritize biblical faithfulness with one another. Um, there is, some, as I said at the beginning of this video, there is something incredibly different about, um, being able to know that you are connected to, 
to people. And David, David actually, I think, uh, mentions this here in a minute. But like, if you look at that photo, these people would not normally be in friendship with one another. There, there's distinct age differences, ethnic differences, um, probably uh, socioeconomical differences of these people that normally they would not interact. But because they all attend this church, because they all believe and follow Jesus, there is something that overrides all of those things. Um, and they are together uh, as a group of individuals um, pursuing Jesus together. And that's what unites them. That's what brings them together. And that's what biblical fellowship is. This idea that, look, like outside of this, I wouldn't even hang out with you. But because, uh, uh, or I wouldn't know you rather, but because of Jesus and because of, uh, of what he's done in all of our lives, like I get to know you. I get to be your friend. I get to be in this community with you because of what Jesus has done. And outside of Jesus, I would have never known you. I would have never met you. Our lives would have never crossed. And that's the beautiful thing of the church, of that God works in the hearts and lives of people that are so distinctly different, but brings them together as a family. And I think so many people miss out on that opportunity. There are, there are guys that I go to church with that outside of knowing Jesus, I would have never crossed their path. We would have never even probably talked, right? But um, it's just this beautiful thing about biblical fellowship within the community that I would just urge you to seek that out. Um, it may be, it may, 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 may mean some drastic changes in your life. Um, and it may take a long time, but it's well worth it, um, to, to pursue that because it's one of the things that we're called to do, to be in fellowship with another. And I'm so glad that he brought it again. This is a great example of, of stories used well, right? They didn't, he didn't, he didn't over, overbuild up this story. He didn't go into great detail about, you know, all of these different, you know, people in this picture. He just says, Hey, look at this. And by the way, this is, he said at the end of this call that, you know, this is the first time he's ever experienced biblical fellowship, like in the church. And all he did was he said, Hey, look at this group, nothing special about them, but this is what this looks like. So I want to ask you, do you have those kinds of relationships in your local church, like family, like relationships, in your church, and we may not be able to have that kind of relationship with every member in the church, but every member in the church should have those kinds of relationships with at least some members in the church. I would just add, looking at that picture from all that I know about that group, like that is not a group that would naturally come together, that looks and thinks exactly the same about everything. Like the explanation for that depth of family is Jesus alone. The only explanation for that depth of family is the same Father. Does that make sense? Like, this is what God has created for a unique kind of community that is utterly different from everything else in this world, which is exemplified in this next trait that is a picture of biblical fellowship, biblical accountability, and discipline. Now, this one might sound hard or even unloving because this is so often misunderstood or ignored in the church, which is sad because this is one of the ways we most clearly show God's love as the church. So the picture here, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, when you see someone else in the church entangled in sin or walking in disobedience to God, then you love that brother or sister enough to go to them, first one-on-one. If that doesn't work, then with a couple of other people, eventually with others in the church, to help that person not walk away from Jesus. Whenever I think about accountability in this one, I think, I want, I need this in my life. If I'm doing something that doesn't honor Jesus or doesn't honor my wife or my kids or whoever, then I want, I need people in my life who don't just say, well, that's your problem and leave me to myself. And my sin, that's totally unloving. I need somebody, if I'm headed off a cliff, I want somebody to love me enough to say to me, David, stop and pull me back. And this is what biblical accountability and discipline is all about. How God has designed us to thrive through the loving, humble pursuit of each other when we're caught in sin, which we are all susceptible to. 
including me. Like, I need Mike in my life. I need others in my life pulling me away from sin, and every single one of us needs that. It's biblical. So here's a great thing. Again, the two things, I mean, there's so many things here that we've mentioned that people don't talk about, but uh, church membership, discipline and accountability, like these are all things that if we don't touch on it, we don't talk about, you're not going to have a healthy church. You're just not. You're just not going to have a healthy church. And um, I know this video is going a little long. So if you're at this point, you're like, oh, we're an hour in and we're not ready. Hey, we're going to do this whole thing because these are great points uh, to, to know and to look at and ask, hey, am I part of a church that does this? And if you're a pastor watching this, are these things that we do and that we prioritize and that are talked about so that they know? Like, it's important to communicate these things. Biblical accountability and discipline. All right, four more. Biblical worship. One of the reasons why we need accountability and discipline is because sin pulls us away from God. And listen, God is better than anything in the universe. Like he is the creator who has ultimate power and authority over all of creation. And he's the source and the sustainer of everything that we enjoy. And even though, even though you and I deserve to be crushed by his greatness and cut off from his goodness, he loved us so much that he made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins so that we could enjoy eternal life with him. And when you truly understand who God is and what God has done for us, then worship becomes not just a religious routine. It becomes our only reasonable response. It becomes the joy of our lives. Worship is our humble and joyful response to the goodness and the greatness of God. There's nothing I can add to that. I'm just saying, I don't know who this Mike guy is. Never heard of him before, never heard him preach, but he is fire. I'll just tell you that. And that's why churches prioritize gathering together in corporate worship, not only because God commands it, which he does, but because we are people who are eager to express our praise and enjoy God's presence together. And we don't just worship God in whatever ways we want. We worship him in the ways he wants. We offer God worship that's acceptable to him according to his word. So that includes singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that are saturated with biblical truth. Our worship includes the public reading of scripture, the testimonies of God's people and prayer and fasting, and all of the worship of the church aims to glorify God and edify his people. And so listen to me, listen, you need this in your life. You need corporate worship in your life and not just online. There's something about physically gathering with people who are filled with God's spirit, hearing each other singing and praising God, seeing each other's faces and being reminded that we're not alone, encouraging each other with our amens and our hallelujahs, even if during a pandemic it has to be on the chat, right? And speaking of which, like during this pandemic time, most of our church family is gathering online. But listen, as soon as you feel that it's safe, I want to encourage you to make physically gathering in corporate worship a top priority in your life. I was thinking about this as I was singing in this worship gathering, because the last couple of weeks, being at home and... I mean, we're trying to sing in the room there, but none of us feels really comfortable singing, like, super loud. I think we mostly know that, unless you have, like, an amazing voice. The rest of us don't feel super comfortable like that with just a couple of people in the room. Uh, we like to listen to you, but we don't want to be that, that person. But when I was in here and we were singing just a little while ago, like, you never lost a battle. I am. I'm yelling. Like, I'm, I feel like I was losing my voice just because I was just, and, and there's, and you, you know why? It's because I'm looking around. I'm looking at, I actually start listing names like Cheryl back there. Like, I'm just looking around. And I'm like, this is the church family I'm a part of. And yes, we, we praise Jesus. And he is the victor. And we're singing together. Like, there's something that God designed. When he says, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Yeah. Like, to one another. Not just to him, but to each other. So, God, speed up the day. We pray when we can all gather together more and more and more and more. And in the meantime, keep trying to. The extent with which people feel comfortable prioritize getting together. All right. Related to there's nothing I can add to that point at all other than that was awesome. I mean, that was good. Like, if you didn't take some notes there, I don't know what you're doing. Like, that is good. Look, if you're still watching this, I appreciate it. But <laughs> you should probably just be, you should probably just be watching the original video. Uh, link in the description. Biblical worship or biblical ordinances. 
So it's interesting how God has designed two specific ordinances or actions in our worship to help us thrive. So one is the Lord's Supper, which I eagerly look forward to us doing again as a church when uh, we feel like, okay, this is a good, safe way to do this. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, this is so, okay. Woo! This has been a huge point during the pandemic, all right? Um, he, he's about to say something that you need to hear, especially if you are part of a church that uh, over video was like, hey, you know, we're going to take communion, grab your Gatorade and Doritos. Like, if you heard that, you definitely need to hear this next point, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so are you ready? So if you are a part of a church or you're watching this and the church was like, hey, we're going to take communion over video, and they told you to grab whatever was around you to do that with, listen to this next point. The sanitation-wise, everything, but Jesus has said, when you come together for worship, take a piece of bread and remember, my body given for your sins. Take a cup and remember, my blood given for your sins. And as we do this, as we reflect on our sins, his salvation, his sustenance in our lives, the promise of his return for us, and we're going to gather around as his church and feast on his goodness forever, that physical activity is key to us spiritually thriving. The Lord's Supper and baptism, which we're actually going to celebrate today, this picture of uh, when you place your faith in Jesus, identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection by being immersed in water, celebrating Jesus' lordship in your life. If you are a new follower of Jesus or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and have never been baptized, I want to encourage you to be baptized. And Lord willing, we'll get back to a place where we're able to see people baptized on a weekly basis, even right there in our gatherings when people come to faith in Jesus. So these are practices we do as the church. So we don't baptize on our own. We don't take the Lord's Supper on our own. We do these practices together in ways that help us to thrive. All right, last two, by no means the least two. Here's the thing. So that, that's an important point is that we don't do these things alone. This is a thing that we do together as a body of believers. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, you know, you know, six people can't do it. The idea is that there's got to be somebody there to administer that, an elder there to administer that. Uh, there's so much more you could go into with that. But the idea that we, uh, he's an important point. We don't do that. We don't do that alone. We don't do that do our by ourselves. We don't do that with just whatever things we have laying around. Like this is an important sacrament to the church. Just like you're not going to go baptize yourself in your tub. You're not going to take communion by yourself because it's, it's a community thing. It's much deeper than just a Dorito and a Gatorade. Like it's, it's, it's a sacrament and the importance of that. And maybe you've grown up in a church where that's not prioritized or that's not talked about, or you don't understand that. Uh, but I would encourage you to dive into that and look into why, um, there's, you have the internet, right? <laughs> you look into it. Uh, so let's keep going. Last two points. Biblical giving. So God is, he's so generous and abundantly gracious toward us in ways that meet our spiritual needs, but also in ways that meet our physical needs. That's why uh, Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 6 that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so God is the source and the ultimate owner of all the resources that we've been blessed with. And so as recipients of his generosity, we have a responsibility and an amazing opportunity to use the resources that he's given us in ways that bless others and serve his kingdom purposes. So this is why as Christians, we give our money, our time, our other resources to and through the local church. Our members of the church give their resources freely and joyfully in order to support those who teach them the word in a variety of ways all across the church, to help cover the expenses of, of the church, to provide relief for the poor, to advance the gospel around the world. And so as we seek and surrender to God's leadership, 1 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just as a reminder, the primary way we are giving during these days is through mcleanbible.org. And I just want to encourage you, as we are still getting all the numbers in from the end of last year, we know for sure you gave over and above last year so that we ended with a significant surplus. And So here's what's been interesting about every church that I, that I know of, 
All right, now I'm not talking about just online churches, like mega churches, like five campus churches like McLean, but just every church, my church that I go to. Um, like in a time where a lot of people weren't able to go physically to church, oddly enough, everyone gave more this year than they did in the previous year, even though we're using like the building less, but we're doing more ministries, right? So a point where pastors might've been like, hey, we're gonna do all these ministries. I, I praying that we have the funding to do it, but we're going to do it in faith that um, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do. Like there was, there was more than enough there to do that with. It just shows how, how God works in his people, that God knows what's happening, that he is going to take care of it. Um, I know that's not the case for every church. I understand that, but um, this is the story that I've heard from so many churches that are just like, Hey, we, there was a good portion that we weren't able to meet or a couple months we weren't able to meet. But even in that, like we, we didn't have to worry about it. God provided, God took care of it. Um, anyway, just, just a, a testimony of how, of how faithful God is through his people to bless his church. In light of last year, that's just evidence of God's grace in your generosity. And I praise him for it and pray that God will continue to just raise up that spirit of generosity more and more and more as a church family, knowing, okay, obviously, we as a church thrive together when we're giving of our resources, but not just as a church. God has designed each of us individually to thrive as we give of our resources. It's pretty clear all throughout scripture. If you keep your resources to yourself, you will wither. When you share your resources generously, sacrificially, cheerfully, then you thrive spiritually. Physically giving is a part of spiritually thriving. Then the last trait, this will actually set the time stage for our time together next week. So listen really closely here. Biblical mission. So here's the deal. Every week as a church, we say the Great Commission to each other. Go and make disciples. This is something we do right where we live. We share the gospel right here in our city. At the same time, Jesus didn't just say, go and make disciples right where you live. He said, go and make disciples where? Of all nations. And the word he uses for nations there is ethne, from which we get ethnic groups of all the ethnic groups in the world which means that we as the church must spread the gospel, not just in places among people right around us. We must, if we're gonna be obedient to Jesus' words, make disciples spread the gospel in places far from us, among groups of people that haven't yet heard the gospel. And we do that in different ways, through our praying, through our giving, like we were just talking about, through going, sometimes short-term trips to other places. And follow this, in any biblical church, God will call some people, maybe many, to move long-term to another place for the spread of the gospel, specifically where it hasn't yet gone. This is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 13, verses one through three. The church in Antioch is worshiping and fasting and praying, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. Specifically, that work was taking the gospel to people and places where it hadn't gone. And Acts 13 says, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So that's a picture of the church in the New Testament. Here's the situation today. Right now, there are approximately three billion people in over 7,000 distinct ethnic groups who have little to no access to the gospel. In other words, they don't even know the truth about who Jesus is. It's not that they've heard the truth about who Jesus is, what he has done, and rejected him. It's they've never even heard. So let me ask a question, just kind of using the most basic logic and reason. If there are over 3 billion people in the world and 7,000 ethnic groups who have not heard the gospel, and there are thousands of us in this church alone who have the gospel, do you think it's possible that God, by his spirit, is calling some of us to go and take the gospel to them. It seems not just possible, it seems probable. Especially when you consider how much God loves all three billion of those people, how Jesus died to bring salvation to all of those people groups. So here's the deal, next Sunday, at the end of this month of prayer and fasting together as a church, we're gonna have an Acts 13-like day. And we're gonna ask God to set apart some from among us here at NBC to go to the unreached. So here 
I think this is an important point here um, that gets missed in about every local church is what will happen is leaders will be raised up like people that are are obviously gifted um, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the gospel or maybe they have administration gifts. Maybe they have evangelical gifts. Right. Um, the, the idea is that they have those and the church is like, yeah, let's utilize them here. <laughs> let's, let's use them here. And we, we are very bad at sending people out. Like we have people that are really gifted and we're just like, well, how can we utilize them and plug them in, in the local church? And to be fair, um, sometimes that's needed, right? Somebody, God will raise somebody up because there's a need in the church and then they will fill that need in the church. Other times a church will have like a surplus of people and they're like, well, I don't know what to do with them. Uh, now that doesn't happen a lot. I get that doesn't happen a lot. But there's definitely been churches where I've, I've uh, heard about, I've not necessarily been in, but I've heard about that have like people that are very talented, but like they, they're not sending them out. They're not going out to plant churches. They're not sending missionaries over like long-term overseas. They're not, uh, you know, sending them to, you know, the next city over to plant a church. Uh, they're not, they're not using those resources wisely. They're trying to keep them all in the building. And I think this is a great last point here is that if all of these things line up, like if you're preaching the gospel, if you know the gospel, you're preaching the gospel, you're building disciples, you're praying together, you're living in community, like you're giving. And there's this just natural thing that this is what's going to happen. You're going to have people built up in the word and you're going to then naturally send them out to go do things uh, long term. You're going to say bye to them. You're going, you, you're going to say, hey, you're not, you are, we are sending you out from this church to go do great things for Jesus. Um, you're not just keeping them in there, keeping them there. Here's what I want to ask you to do this week. And I want to ask every single follower of Jesus within the sound of my voice to do this this week. I want to ask you to pray over the course of this week before next Sunday and just say to God, God, I will go if you call me to go. That's all I'm asking. For you to lay your life, your family, now before God in a fresh way this week and say, I will go if you call me to go. That's what my family and I are going to pray all week long. That's what Mike and his family are going to pray all week long. That's what I want to invite all of us to pray all week long. And then come together next Sunday and see what God says. That's what we're asking him to do, Acts 13, among us. So pray that this week and then come next week. And don't skip worship next week because you're afraid he might call you to go. That would miss like the whole point of everything, what it means to be a Christian. So don't miss the point. Be here next week with that kind of prayer in our hearts. And let's just ask God to send some out from among us. This is a biblical mission. And according to God, so follow this, we will not thrive as a church if we ignore three billion people who've never heard the gospel. We will not thrive as a church if we're not sending people out to take the gospel where it hasn't gone. All right, Mike, any closing thoughts about how God has designed us to thrive as part of the church? All right, before he ends this here, like I think that's an important point, right? The idea is that if, we're, if you're going to be a part of a biblical church or if you're going to be a pastor that's leading a, a biblical church, the idea is here that you're going to start... Um, as, as we go through these steps, as more importantly, as we go back to Hebrews 10, that was the beginning of this and saying, hey, we're meant for community to be together, to remind each other of the hope and stir each other onto these good works. But if we're going to do all of those things, we need to understand what the church looks like biblically, right? So if we're going through all of those things, what's naturally going to happen is we're going to have people that are raised up, that are, that are strong in Jesus, that are strong disciples, that have gifts of the Holy Spirit to be sent out to do things. And um, you can't just hold on to those people. Like you have to be encouraging your people to say, hey, what has God called you to do? What giftedness has he given you to either be one, utilized here in the local church or two, to be sent out to do other things in the world? And even though you love this church, even though you love being a part of this family, even though it's going to be incredibly painful to leave, we know that he's good and he's got better. He's got better plans. 
uh, that we can, that you can be used for the growth of his kingdom and the glory of his name. And just, just making that a statement, like we don't want to lose you, but we know that if God's got a plan, like we don't want to hold that back. We don't want to stand in the way of that. We don't want to discourage that. So anyway, last thoughts here that we'll end the sermon review. Yeah, I, I was thinking as I was just reflecting on the church this week, I was thinking about my, my college days uh, when I first started seriously following uh, Jesus. Um, and I bought into something, and I, and I would say, man, if, you, if you're a college student, if you're a high school student, I, I would invite you to really listen in on this because I bought into something that I think many of us are tempted to buy into today. And it's this idea that I, I genuinely... So I just have to make note because I make note of this every single time. I don't know if you hear it. The music started playing. Uh, I, I, apparently, it's just the thing that everybody does now. Ten minutes before the sermon ends, everybody starts playing music. But anyway, sorry. I had to point that out. I want to be consistent even though it's quite obvious how I feel toward this sermon review, I want to be consistent and say that they too apparently start playing the music 10 minutes before the sermon ends. I genuinely believe that I could like, genuinely follow Jesus but completely ignore the local church. In fact, like to me, I, I thought the church was so outdated and so disappointing, so boring, that I actually thought that investing in the local church would hinder me from thriving spiritually. But in my early 20s, God began to show me how he sees the church and how he feels about the church, even with all of its flaws. Like, understand, this is a community. The church is a community that God himself has made a covenant with, has made a covenant commitment to. And so listen, Jesus didn't just die in order to bring people to God. Jesus died and rose again in order to bring people together into this supernatural, eternal family that puts his grace and his glory on display. And so listen, we are not perfect. And sometimes not only do we get disappointed in the church, but Jesus himself is disappointed in the church sometimes. And yet he has not and he will not give up on us. He is at work by his spirit, forming us into a family that brings more and more glory to him. And one day, one day our local church family will stand together with that great multitude in Revelation 7, a multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so that's our prayer for you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's our prayer for you. Our goal is not ultimately to get you to join our church here on earth. Our ultimate goal, our passion, is for you to be able to one day stand with that church in heaven. That one day, instead of meeting God face to face as your judge, that you would meet God face to face as your savior. Because this is what God has done for us. Like this is not ultimately about the church. It's about what Jesus has done for the church. It's the, it's the fact that even in our imperfection and our sin, that God has made a way for our sin to be wiped clean through the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. And this is not just for some, for something for your grandmother or the person that you think is super holy. This is something that Jesus wants to do for you. That we acknowledge that we have no self-righteousness of our own. That we desperately need God to forgive us of our sin. And if you are watching this or you're gathered here with us and you know God has been working in your heart, you might still have some questions, but you know that God has been working in your heart and you're at a place where you would say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I know I can get it in through no other means except through the sacrifice of Jesus. Then we want to invite you today to begin the rest of your life through a relationship with Jesus Christ by turning from your sin and saying, God, I put all of my weight, all of my hope, all of my trust in Jesus alone. And so David's going to lead us as we pray together. I want to invite you, even as he leads us, to express your personal trust, your faith in Jesus. David, why don't you lead us, man? Okay, so hold on. He's about to end in prayer, then we'll end this sermon review. Um, actually, we'll just end the sermon review now. But the idea is that I want you to see how that ended. 
Okay. So most of these streaming reviews we watch, if there is some sort of altar call, salvific call at the end, it's usually, hey, if you want your life to be better, hey, if you want to accept this message that you just heard someone so talk about, hey, repeat this prayer after us, right? The gospel isn't normally presented at all when that's given in most churches. So, and we might, I don't know, maybe we'll do this someday. We'll do a compilation of the ending services and just to show the difference. But you, you can go look at the differences yourself, I guess. But um, the idea here is I want you to see what he did. It wasn't a quick, hey, if you want this life, if you want to become a part of this community, if you want to do this and be you know right with God, just repeat this prayer after me and then said some prayer that he wants to repeat. In fact, he just said that David's going to end in prayer, but I, he wanted the people that if that's the decision you made, if you understand all of the gospel that I just talked, that he just talked about, right? He just said, he just re-preached the gospel to us. And if you accept that, he said, David's going to pray for all of us, uh, but I want you to do that yourself. Like I want you to say your words to God. So this wasn't a leading out and just say this magical prayer, repeat this magical phrase, then you're in the family. He presented the gospel and he said, that's what the gospel looks like. If you want that gospel, reach out to God. So anyway, I want you to see, I know that a lot of these sermon reviews, you can tell from the get-go where I'm at on this, but I can't tell you how good of a, uh, a sermon this was in regards to, first of all, using Hebrews 10, going through and showing those three major points that are demonstrated there, but then really going off and saying, hey, if we want these points, we have to understand what a biblical church looks like, and then building that out. So there's times where you're going to have to do that. I'm going to say that this isn't the norm. This isn't normally what happens. This isn't normally how I would say, hey, you definitely need to build it out like this. But here's the thing. This wasn't just story time. This isn't, you know, we're going to be a better church because of a prophetic word that Dave has or Mike had, right? We're just going to say, hey, this is what a biblical church looks like in the Bible. This is what we're going to hold to. This is how they all build off one another. This is what it looks like in scripture um, and, and really edified the body, really encouraged the body, really built up the body by what they just did here. So once again, you guys, I appreciate uh, you watching these videos. The The point of these videos isn't to say, here's super Christians, here's not super Christians. This, the point is to say, hey, we, we're going to have a lot of sermons and a lot of pastors in front of us. Whenever we watch this, are we being diligent and saying, hey, does this line up with scripture? If they're preaching out of this particular passage, you know, did they do it well? Did they actually teach it or was it like twisted? What are the red flags we look for? You know, certain phrases that people say are red flags or, hey, what are the good things they did here? Look, this, this sermon by itself, and this is why I've encouraged you, I think this will be the third or fourth time just click it and watch it yourself without this commentary because it, it this is an incredibly beneficial sermon for any believer to watch so that we can know hey what is the biblical basis for what a church looks like because i can tell you right now <laughs> through all of the interactions i have there are so many people that do not know biblically how a church should be built that they're just going along with whatever the pastor says. And this, this servant itself is a great level set for if you're confused about that in a very general way that lays out what that looks like. So guys, thank you for watching, subscribing, commenting. I very much appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week.